0: Welcome to the second edition of the Fort Lee Podcast. I am your host, Jefferson Wolfe. I am joined by Chief of Primary Care at Kenner Army Health Clinic, Dr. Taha Hawk. Happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. And we're going to talk about the subject that's very prevalent. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's dealing with it in one way or another. We're going to talk about COVID for a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, as the Chief of Primary Care, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in uh, in terms of lessons learned from the vaccine that people have already been getting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, everyone's well aware, you know, we started vaccinating. The whole effort kicked off at the start of this year. and. Um, You know everyone was familiar with the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines and I think there's a lot of lessons that have been learned we have over you know 100 million million, uh, citizens that have been vaccinated now there's a lot of lessons in safety and efficacy that we're learning but some of the key points that I wanted to really emphasize is that the COVID vaccine is very effective, and it's effective in really reducing the risk of COVID-19, in particular severe illness uh, among folks who who do get fully vaccinated, um, and and some statistics go so high as to say by 90 percent or more. Um, so it really is encouraging that we we you know we've we've got this resource available to us that folks can get done. And it's so helpful to to reduce some of that risk.
0: So when you started the vaccination process and all the vaccines here on Fort Lee back in
1: January, right? Mm-hmm. Correct.
0: Um, is this better than you would have expected in terms of efficacy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when we had started off, we, we were getting a lot of reports from the studies, the clinical studies that the FDA had looked at to, uh, you know, grant the emergency use authorization. Um, But those are always in limited populations. However, now we have real-time data that only confirms what we knew in the clinical data that shows that the efficacy rate is so high um, in in you know reducing your risk from 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 COVID.
0: And this is off the charts for most initial launches of vaccines, right? Going back to smallpox and polio and things like that.
1: Right, right. I think we look at um, you know it's one of the things that we really emphasize with folks is even just clinically in the trials, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines having high success rates of you know, 95, 96% efficacy, uh, that's that's amazing for for vaccine effectiveness.
0: The next thing up when it comes to vaccinations, once you've had your vaccine, you've got to start looking at getting a booster shot, right? So what's coming down the pipeline in terms of booster shots? Uh, what, are, what should people be expected to do?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing I'd like to explain is just the difference between a booster shot versus an additional dose. Um, right now, there's no... Um, you know, the FDA and the CDC haven't come out and, and, and recommended a booster shot for folks. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of data that needs to be filtered through. Um, and it's important to understand that a, a booster shot is intended for folks as a supplemental vaccine to acknowledge the fact that in folks who have normal immunity, um, immunity can wane over time. And so the booster is intended to, well, boost your immune system for folks that may have that waning immunity. That's different than the additional booster, or excuse me, the additional dose. Um, That's really intended for folks who, from the start, had a weakened immune system, for folks who were immunocompromised. Those folks, the guidance has been made clear from the CDC. The recommendation is that they do receive their third dose um, of whatever vaccine that they, the series that they received, um, six months after their second shot. Um, So so it is important to understand that, that right now we don't have clear cut guidance from the CDC for the booster shots, but we do have guidance from the CDC regarding the additional doses for your immunocompromised patients.
0: Now, for those folks that are immunocompromised and have to get a third shot, does it have to be the same? If they got Moderna twice, do they have to get Moderna a third time?
1: So um, for those who who got the, let's say for example, you got a Moderna vaccine, the recommendation would be that you get the same vaccine as your uh, additional dose. So it's best to try and avoid mixing the vaccines.
0: Now, as we're talking about the different vaccines, Kenner started off giving only Moderna that's correct since Pfizer has been approved and do you guys have Pfizer now that it's approved
1: so we're going we do have Pfizer uh, now we're going to start uh, giving Pfizer for our our soldiers initially and then uh, depending upon the supply of the vaccine that we get in uh, we'll determine if we can open it up to our uh, our dependents, our so some are of you, our civilians. Are you
0: do you have both now.
1: We do. And yes, can
0: people choose, or is there a process?
1: So right now, we're going to uh, for our service members where the vaccine has been mandated, we are going to go with the Pfizer vaccine. Um, however, for family members or dependents who haven't received it, obviously they don't have a mandate. Um, you know, the choice uh, will be theirs. It'll be more likely than not that just for logistical reasons, we'll have Moderna in the clinic to administer.
0: You mentioned the mandatory vaccine, the mandate that came out a week or two ago. Can you talk a little bit about what our soldiers should expect to see?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, for everyone's awareness, you know, the Secretary of Defense did mandate that um, all service members um, receive the COVID vaccine. Um, so in light of that guidance, Kenner uh, has established a, a shot X that we're going to hold for all our permanent party, uh, uh, permanent party soldiers here at Fort Lee um, And uh, we will try and you know get as many folks that have not received the vaccine into that clinic and, and uh, at, uh, vaccinated. Um, naturally, there's a lot of folks that have a lot of questions about the vaccine, and, you know, um, it's important that soldiers are aware of uh, the risks the benefits of the vaccine and I would encourage them if they have questions to talk to their primary care providers so that they have a better understanding of what the vaccine is and uh, some of the benefits of getting the vaccine and maybe even debunk some of the myths out there about the vaccine.
0: Well while we're there let's talk yeah. about do you have some myths that you'd like to talk about while we're here?
1: I do I think you know there are some things that we really often see or hear a lot of as we've been administering these vaccines and I think it's important that um, folks really get information from validated resources um, anything that I've mentioned here as is, 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 you know will come from uh, the CDC because that really is our most trusted source um, and I think you know I wanted to share a few things that uh, we've that the CDC acknowledges as being really um, really circulating out in the community uh, you know case in point is the COVID-19 vaccine contain microchips you know at this time, there's no evidence that there's any sort of microchips <laughs> right. in, the, in the vaccine. Um, you know, there's no, you know, large conspiracy theory or things of that sort that would have the microchip in it. But, uh, you know, less from a conspiracy perspective, there are legitimate concerns that, you know, will it affect, uh, especially from, my, from a lot of the female patients, will it affect my ability to get pregnant? And really, at this time, there's no evidence that it negatively impacts fertility. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's been shown to be safe in pregnancy. And so we are, in, you know, encouraging pregnant women to get um, to get vaccinated. So, um, you know, the other really common thing I also hear, you know, will, <laughs> will it alter my DNA? You know, it's just not how the vaccine works. And I think a lot of times um, folks believe when they hear that RNA, mRNA kind of uh, terminology, they think there's going to be some sort of manipulation that's happening at the genetic level. And that's just not how the vaccine works. You know, The vaccine is just teaching our body how to identify uh, the coronavirus itself so that um, it can then start to uh, repel the actual virus if we ever do come in touch with it.
0: One of the things we hear about is it's new, It's has it been tested on people enough? Do we really know what's in it? I think we know what's in it, right? Right, right, and, and right. And it's been, talk a little bit about how different this is than another vaccine from years past and how many more, uh, how much more experience we have with it.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And I think, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, this these vaccines went through the same three-step clinical phase trials that any other vaccine that's coming to market in America would go through. Um, and it was deemed, uh, you know, safe uh, by the FDA through those steps. And it's also really important to understand that there were some vaccines that didn't make it to market as they went through that same process, so um, I think for for peace of mind for 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 our folks out there that you know it, it's gone through very rigorous um, uh, you know evaluation. Once it made it through to the emergency use authorization like i had mentioned before it's over 100 you know million individuals have received the vaccine and the cdc and and you know continues to gather safety data and efficacy data on these vaccines and like i had mentioned it just continuously shows the the efficacy the efficacy of the vaccine and the safety of the vaccine so as, as time has progressed over the last nine months since the vaccines really started um, being pushed heavily we're seeing how safe it is and how efficacious it is.
0: When we're talking about safety could you talk a little bit about the side effects and how often we see those?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, it's a great point because we we do see side effects from the vaccine and I think that scares a lot of folks and, and, and hinders them from getting it. But what I can say, you know, Moderna was one we very commonly administered here at Fort Lee, but even with Pfizer, you know, pain at the site of the injection, that I can, Pretty much guarantee you'll have, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and and it is it's something that won't last for a very long time. Probably about twenty four hours. Um, outside of that, you know, some patients will develop headaches. Some patients will develop body aches, like muscle aches. Um, and for the majority of people, those symptoms will resolve in about two to three days. Um, there is uh, less common side effects that we see, some GI stuff, you know, diarrhea, some upset mm-hmm. stomach. Um, but there's a common misconception that this vaccine, any of them, will give you COVID. And that's just simply not true If you, because we're not giving you the live virus, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you develop symptoms from it, a lot of times those symptoms can mimic flu-like symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Symptoms that just are very common to viral illnesses and um, people associate that with with COVID. But that that is more uh, uh, a response that your body is mounting to the vaccine itself.
0: There's a lot of things that people are doing that may or may not be appropriate talking about taking Invermectin is a big one right sure. now. There's a few others. Could you talk a little bit about that? Is there a cure for COVID once you have it? No,
1: no. And and I think it's really important to understand, right? It's, it's a virus and like any virus, we don't have very good cures for virus. If you came down with influenza virus, right, just the common mm-hmm. flu, we don't have a cure for that virus, right, the, the, we may give you Tamiflu, you may get the medication, all that's intended to do is reduce the duration of your symptoms, but it's not meant to cure you of the virus. So in general, in medicine, we don't have very good cures of, of, of viruses, um, you know, oftentimes people try to draw similarities between viruses and bacteria where we have You know, in bacteria, I can Mm -hmm. give you an antibiotic, I can see the resolution in your symptoms or potentially a visible infection. With viruses, it just doesn't work the same way for the most part. So we
0: definitely are talking an ounce of prevention in terms of being vaccinated is worth
1: a pound of cure. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, anybody that's been, you know, we saw it in the early days of COVID, you know, the bleach cures and, uh, you know, ivermectin is a great point of that too. I I would highly encourage anybody who's considering engaging in any of those sorts of things, you're safer taking the, taking the vaccine than you are taking those medications. And, and, and that's why, again, um, if you're, if you're hesitant to take the vaccine, but you're, you're eager to do the ivermectin, I would really encourage you to have a discussion with your, with your physician or provider.
0: Another thing that's been in the news lately is the Delta variant. Could you talk a little bit about what the Delta variant is and how we how effective the vaccination is against that?
1: Yeah, and and I think that's really important, especially as we are uh, coming into the fall season. You know, just recently the you know Johns Hopkins, where where we're collecting a lot of data about vaccine uh, or uh, infection rates, indicated that we've seen a huge spike over the Labor Day weekend in, in new cases. Um, a lot of that is being driven by the Delta variant, and so to give a very brief overview of what variants are. It, it's, it's just mutations over a virus, right? The virus is a, is a living thing. Coronavirus is a living thing and it, it adapts, right? It, it's about survival, it's about adapting. And so um, the Delta variant in particular is a specific mutation to corona, of coronavirus. And what we know about the Delta variant is that, um, one, it's, it's extremely contagious. Um, it, it, it causes more infections and it spreads much faster. Um, initially, it was seen very um, aggressively in India and as it sort of started to spread across the globe, we started learning more about it and that's one of the key things that we took away from it was that it is so aggressive in, in infectious. But we do know uh, there is some initial data that's also suggesting that the Delta variant might cause more severe illness than um, other variants. It's Especially in the unvaccinated groups um, and which is why it's so important for our unvaccinated folks to really consider getting vaccinated and get vaccinated because um, they have a higher risk of getting the uh, of catching coronavirus and also suffering um, more serious illness from the virus
0: with the current vaccines, how effective have they been shown to be against the delta variant
1: so th- it's been shown to be very effective. I can't give you an exact number. I think that the, the studies are still happening that are going to mm-hmm. try and show us the efficacy of it. Um, however, we do know um, there have been initial studies that show effectiveness against pro- or protection against Delta variant upwards of 90% for Moderna and Pfizer. So. Um, However, no vaccine is perfect right we We fully recognize that if you're you know in that ten percent you know you can still get breakthrough cases, and we are seeing that mm-hmm. we are seeing people who are fully vaccinated that are still getting covid um, but what's interesting what we're seeing in that population of vaccinated individuals who are getting the delta variant that they have less severe symptoms as compared to the unvaccinated and I think that's really what's important um so if 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 you know if I have to sell it to you, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a really bad bug out there, right? The Delta variant. Right. Um, if it, I don't have a cure for it, but I've got something that could potentially reduce how bad it's gonna be if you catch it, mm-hmm. and that's the vaccination. Um, and it, and if, I, if you don't go with that, then the risk is much, much higher for, for a bad outcome.
0: So let's talk about kids. School's just getting underway all over this area. At what age are kids eligible for the vaccine?
1: Yeah, so Pfizer has approved. Pfizer has been approved by the FDA for uh, 16 and older. Um, there is still currently an emergency use authorization for Pfizer in ages 12 to 15.
0: So theoretically, 12 and up can get. Correct.
1: It. Right. Absolutely. It's 16 and up
0: is is sanctioned or whatever. You absolutely
1: call. right. So it's been fully approved by uh, by mm-hmm. the FDA for 16 and older. 12 to 15 has been uh, has is. Uh, still approved under the emergency use authorization. Um, And that's just for Pfizer. Moderna and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine are still under emergency use authorization for 18 and older. Um, So we're waiting to see, I think in the next month or two, they're expecting uh, a decision to be made on Moderna in the pediatric population.
0: What would you recommend to parents who are seeing their kids go off to school and being in close quarters indoors with a lot of other kids who may or
1: may not be infected? Yeah, I think, you know, everything I would always underline with whether you're vaccinated or not is we still have to stick to our basics, right? The basics are still hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing a mask. Um, So as parents, I would highly encourage, you know, following the regulations of the school that your child attends. Um, And a lot of schools are following the CDC guidelines, especially in our local area, which is maintaining six foot distancing. Any child two and older should be wearing a mask. Um, And, you know, they're doing rigorous hand hygiene. So, you know, the schools are trying to uh, maintain that safety but the other piece to it things that parents but really anybody who comes in, in, in encounter with with children or school-aged children that are not eligible for the vaccine is to get vaccinated right it, we should really be encouraging our teachers our the the folks that are working uh, at the schools that are uh, coming in contact with our, our our younger population that's not eligible for vaccine we really should be encouraging those folks to get vaccinated
0: now i have a daughter who's almost 14 and she's vaccinated how worried should I be that she could go to school wearing her mask, vaccinated and come home and bring COVID to my
1: eight year old who is not vaccinated yet? That's a tough question. Uh, (laughs) I mean, as a parent, I would tell you, I'd be very concerned, right? Mm -hmm. As a parent, you know, I have young kids and both are not eligible to even receive the vaccine, um, but they attend a school where kids are. Uh, And I think, um, I, I would say we, we, we always go back to the basics. We, we should be encouraging, you should be encouraging your daughter, you know, as best you can maintain social distancing, as best you can maintain that hand hygiene. And, you know, I can't foot stomp that enough. Um, I think what we saw as, as the vaccine effort really started taking underway, you know, things started to get lax. Um, but then we saw the spike of, of the Delta variant. And I think it's so important that we remind ourselves that there's still a transmission risk to this. There's still concerns of, you know, your 14-year-old potentially could transmit this to your eight-year-old. And um, it's, it's very important that both are, are, are adhering as best as possible uh, to what the CDC guidelines are. So more
0: or less, we have to respect the disease. We have to realize it is a disease. We've got to respect it, and we've got to take precautions...
1: To absolutely keep us safe. absolutely that's great prevention that's is key
0: probably a great place to end prevention is key if people have questions where is a resource that is accurate and can be trusted that they can go to at home to look at if they can't talk to their primary care manager
1: I would really encourage folks to look at Kenner Army Health Clinic's website uh, and Facebook page. We try and keep updated information on there, um, and I think that's a very reliable and trustworthy resource.
0: And the Facebook page is kenner.fortlee, and that's kenner.ftlee, and Fort Lee is all one word. So if we were to spell that out, it's capital K-E-N-N-E-R.ftlee. So that's all, uh, all the questions I have for you. Is there anything that we didn't cover that maybe we should talk about or some
1: message you'd like the folks to have out, in, uh, out around the area? I would just encourage folks for, to, to, to ask the questions but make sure we're, we're getting information from reliable and trustworthy resources. Um, the last thing we'd want to see is somebody get hurt because of uh, the wrong information.
0: Right. Very good. Well, thank you very much for joining yeah, us today. Absolutely. That was Dr. Taha Hawk, the chief of primary care at Kenner Army Health Clinic. Great to have you with us today, and we'll be right back after this brief moment. Welcome back to the Fort Lee Podcast. I am joined now by Brigadier General David S. Doyle, the Commanding General of JRTC in Fort Polk. Uh, thank you for coming to see us today, sir.
2: Oh, it's great here. Great to be here at Fort Lee. I'm glad to be here. So, since
0: we're not talking to someone from Fort Lee, the obligatory question is why are you here? Uh, what are you doing here at Fort Lee for the next couple days?
2: Well, thanks. Hey, it's, it's wonderful to be able to travel around the Army and see different things, but my purpose here is really to encourage folks to look at our combat training centers, to understand what the role is of Joint Readiness Training Center, the National Training Center, Uh, And then to talk to them a little bit about the professional and personal opportunities that are available at Fort Polk should they ever choose to become assigned there. And then really to talk to some of the audiences that I'll get a chance to meet uh, about sustainment and the role of the sustainment warfighting function in large-scale combat operations.
0: So who are you here to talk to?
2: Well, I'm going to get a chance to talk to some uh, Basic Officer Leader Course students, uh, some Captain's Career Course students. And my Command Sergeant Major, Command Sergeant Mike Henry, is going to speak with some senior NCOs, a couple of their courses, and some sergeant's major, and talk to them about some of the same material.
0: So that's the material, you know, kind of reflected toward officers and toward NCOs. That's
2: right. We want to make sure that everybody understands, if you come to serve at JRTC in Fort Polk, we've got perfect and really useful career paths uh, for officers, noncommissioned officers, soldiers. It's a it's a really interesting place to be. We've got an eclectic group of units that serve there, and we do a number of different styles of mission.
0: How does going to JRTC or ACTC position enhance somebody's career whether it's officer or NCO?
2: Well, anybody that gets the opportunity to serve at a combat training center is going to practice the warfighting skills necessary to make them great at any job they do. So if you think about it, you go to the field and you practice on some of the things that you need to do within your your professional area of expertise. If you come to Joint Readiness Training Center, you get to go do that and watch other people do it. And while they're doing it, you're actually learning from them. So with repetitions and rotations, you become better and better at your trade craft. So when you go to your follow on assignment, you're highly sought after. You'll be somebody that can pull from the experience of others to say, listen, We've got some good techniques. I've seen this done before. Or, hey, wait, I think we should try something different because I've seen this not work, and here's why.
0: So somebody serving at JRTC is likely to move on from there and be in a good promotion status and be in good status to be able to get a follow-on assignment. Is that correct?
2: That's very accurate. When you look at our promotion rates, especially with our senior NCOs, sergeant's first class to master sergeant, we outpace the Army's promotion rate by more than 15%. When you talk about staff sergeants to sergeant first class, we outpace the Army by 20%. So our our NCOs are being selected at higher rates than across the force because the Army recognizes the competency that they gain while serving as an observer, controller, trainer.
0: Sir, in recent years, Fort Polk has had a lot of improvements to quality of life. That's been one of your projects as the commanding general there. Could you talk a little bit about what's going on at Fort Polk and how the quality of life there is being improved.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is something that's been ongoing for several years. The previous commanding general received a word that Fort Polk was going to become one of the Army's four quality of life installations. Fort Hood is one of them, Fort Wainwright, Alaska, Fort Irwin, California, and Fort Polk there in Louisiana. As a result, we've been funded at a higher rate than any other installation in the Army for some of our infrastructure. We've been doing barracks renovations and motor pool improvements. We've been working on our road structure, but more importantly, it ties to how we treat our families. So we have great opportunities now, thanks to some additional funding for spouse employment. We have a designated representative who helps us ensure that if a spouse wants to work locally, regionally, or nationally, we can connect them with the job opportunities that most fit their talents. We've been able to spend money on our education program for soldiers, spouses, and the children that attend the schools in Vernon Parish. Vernon Parish is where Fort Polk resides. We have the number four uh, school system in the entire DOD uh, for math, science, and uh, reading, which which is something people don't know about, and it's been a relatively new development. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, an enhanced morale, welfare, and recreation uh, activity schedule because there is less to do in the surrounding area off the installation. We, we go ahead and complement that with an extra amount of spending so that there's activities for family members, for single soldiers, and for families. And then uh, lastly, we've been working very diligently to improve the quality of our housing. The on-post housing has been a main thrust. Almost 60% of our population lives on the installation as opposed to off, which is a little bit different ratio than you'd find in other installations.
0: So. You have this great operation, great training uh, opportunities for people, great career opportunities for people. Here at Fort Lee, we're very concerned with sustainment and logistics, transportation, quartermaster. How do those people play into what goes on at JRTC?
2: Well, our focus in the combat training centers is to prepare for large-scale combat operations. We recognize that the Army's not going to go to counterinsurgency missions exclusively, not going to conduct only counterterrorism missions, but we may be called upon to fight against a peer competitor and have to use all of our systems and tools. And in order to make any of those systems and tools effective, they've got to have a sustainment tail. They've got to have the requisite parts, the right maintenance. They've got to have individuals that can deliver things on time. And so our sustainment warfighting uh, individuals do incredible work to keep the machines rolling, to keep the apparatus running. And they get put under a lot of stress uh, by serving at JRGC in Fort Polk because they're trying to ensure that a unit, when it arrives for its rotation, its training cycle, understands the very best techniques that are out there. And so it's it's professionally rewarding to be part of that process because we don't think it's gonna be about tiny units. We think it's gonna be about scale and speed when you talk about the sustainment warfighting function, they're exceptionally well suited to ensure that we can accomplish things at scale and speed.
0: So if a unit comes to JRTC and is going to be in the box Mm -hmm. and it is a sustainment unit, what can they expect to learn and do?
2: Well, what they can expect to do is enhance the warfighting capability of the entire organization. So for example, we uh, employ fires at a incredible rate during a rotation. We have to shoot artillery, we have to shoot mortars, And they consume incredible amounts of ammunition. And so that ammunition has to be sorted back at the location where it's stored. It then has to be paired with its fuses. It then has to be inspected. It then has to be delivered. And then it has to be uh, serviced once it's been put back into storage. So just that one group of ammunition specialists is going to get a full workout for the entire tenure of the rotation. And that doesn't even count for the transportation piece. It doesn't account for the uh, heavy equipment operators that have to be involved to move that, uh, those supplies back and forth. So each of the components of the sustainment warfighting function get a realistic workout, as opposed to just talking about it or doing it for a platoon or a company. They're doing it for 6,000 people in the box. I mean, just think about feeding 6,000 people at one time.
0: Right, now you mentioned platoon or company, and that's kind of a good segue. Um, as, as a senior leader in the Army, um, you're going to talk to some of these young leaders and the sergeant Major's going to go talk to some NCOs. What is your, what is your message in terms of leadership for, these, for the young officers and for the NCOs?
2: Well, what I've found as we've watched these rotations and we watch units come in, the successful units, the best units are well-led, not a surprise, and they deal with adversity and challenges without becoming overly emotional. So the individuals who can kind of display composure can react to the changing requirements, because inevitably a maneuver person is going to ask for something different tomorrow than they did yesterday. And so for their ability to be calm under pressure, uh, that lends itself to a lot of great outcomes. What you see is units that are able to cope with those struggles can make better judgments on how to support the warfighter and how to be part of that team. Units that are also able to anticipate and kind of look forward are more successful. So for those leaders that are gonna be part of my audience today, I to encourage them to be poised, uh, composed, and really do their very best to anticipate requirements so they can be delivering answers before even the questions asked.
0: Now, building on that just a little bit, going away from the audience that you're talking about today, but what their next step and their next step might be, what's the difference between being a senior leader and being a junior leader, or is there a difference?
2: Well, I think, you know, the scope increases as you become more senior, and your leadership style has to change. And so, where you can be very effective as a direct leader at a junior rank, and you can solve problems by your personal presence, it becomes a lot more challenging the more senior you get. when you're. A senior non-commissioned officer, you have to lead through others. You have to influence them to carry out the commander's intent. When you're a more senior officer, you have to lead through sometimes policy or written guidance and you have to lead through other individuals who ensure that what you're trying to accomplish stays aligned. So that degree of influence is the big discriminator. You can't do it all just by your personal uh, presence and and you, you solving the problem for your team.
0: From your command experiences, what expectations did you have for captains, lieutenants, junior leaders under your command?
2: Well, at each uh, location I served, I was surrounded by phenomenal sustainers. I mean, the people that I had the opportunity to work with in the 82nd Airborne Division or 3rd Ranger Battalion or 10th Mountain Division were accomplished. They had a lot of experience. And so they were able to solve problems because they'd seen some of the issues that we're confronting in the past. The the problems are changing now, though. So we're not in a period of sustained deployments where we go to a base and we run supplies or we run sustainment operations from very fixed sites. There has to be a lot more initiative by our sustainers, both from our enlisted and our officers. So I think what I've seen, that degree of professional competence uh, is built here in the schoolhouse, and then it has to be refined through practice. And so for the next generation, what I hope they are able to do is find those fantastic training opportunities or develop training opportunities to put their organizations through crucible experiences, put them under stress, put them under a lot of difficulty so that when they go to a new environment that no one has anticipated or it's different than what they had thought where they were gonna encounter, they don't get completely overwhelmed. And so I think the next generation of leaders has a daunting task ahead of them, but it's one we can do some preparation for now.
0: We talked about leadership. And, and great, what makes a great leader. Could you talk a little bit about somebody that inspires you or somebody that you think leaders should study?
2: Well, one example uh, would be uh, General Matthew Bunker Ridgway. He served as a commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, 18th Airborne Corps, but most importantly, he served as the commander of the 8th Army uh, during the conflict in Korea. And he came in at a time of great adversity when uh, US forces and NATO forces were almost being repelled off the peninsula and he turned the organization around. And he did it with leadership and presence and that calm demeanor that I mentioned earlier. A lot of what he did was instilling not just uh, bravery but the, the systems that enabled the organization to run. He knew that if a soldier didn't have warm clothing in Korea, he wasn't gonna be able to fight in the wintertime. He knew that if a soldier didn't have the right amount of ammunition, he wasn't gonna be able to fight the enemy. And so not only did he inspire people with his presence and with his charisma, He ensured that his organization could run effectively, could supply his soldiers, and therefore it turned that organization around. It became one of the most lethal fighting forces in American history.
0: Very good, sir. Do you have anything to maybe wrap up on, anything we didn't talk about, or do you have a final message for the people at Fort Lee, the soldiers and civilians and families here at Fort Lee?
2: Well, I'd just like to let everybody know that I'm really glad that I get a chance to come here. This mission, uh, the way that our Army trains uh, for sustainment uh, with our quartermaster corps, transportation corps, with all of our ordnance personnel, it's the backbone of the Army. It's the thing that makes everything run. You can't jump out of an airplane unless you have a rigger. You can't you know, supply a vehicle with fuel unless you have a fueler, and you're definitely not going to eat unless you've got a great cook. So what happens on this installation matters to the rest of the Army and it's a great privilege to join you here.
0: Thank you very much. Welcome back to this third segment of the Fort Lee Podcast. We are joined once again by Megan Green, the Marketing Manager for the Fort Lee MWR folks. How are you doing today?
3: Good Jefferson, thanks for having me. Oh great, it's always great to have you
0: back and and know what exciting things are coming up for people to do across Fort Lee. Um, Now the first question I'll start off with, this is kind of off our script, but who is eligible to come to MWR things? Just so we lay that out clearly.
3: Um, It kind of depends on what the program is, but the general rule is that they have to be DoD ID card holders.
0: Okay, cool, that's good to know to start off with. So if you are a DoD ID card holder and you can get on base, Here are some of the things that you can participate in. So the first thing I have on the list here is the youth center is going to be reopened.
3: Yes, we're really excited. On September 7th, we reopened the youth center. It opened. We did a little grand opening celebration from 2 to 6 p.m. And the youth center is there to offer after-school programming for any DOD-connected youth ages 11 to 18. We have been closed for a while due to COVID, so we're really happy to have the kids come back in.
0: What kind of stuff can they do when they come there?
3: Oh, they can do fitness, life skills, we teach leadership classes. It's a safe and secure environment where they can have fun while interacting with their peers. Okay, and where is it located? It's located right off the Boulevard. Oh,
0: okay, good. So everybody can, easy easy to get to. Yep,
3: right near a lot of housing, so people can easily walk there as well. Okay,
0: okay, cool. Okay, so next up, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the season opener for the Lee Playhouse. What's going on there?
3: Yep, so we're really excited to open this season. Again, we've been closed for a little while, but this season, we're starting off with Neil Simon's penned musical. They're playing our song. It'll be showing now through September 19th, and you can go to our website, Lee.armymwr.com for all the ticket information. And this will be the first play of our full lineup season for 2021 and 2022. Well,
0: that's cool. Uh, Last year, did you have a whole bunch of plays or did they all get canceled from COVID?
3: Unfortunately, they all got canceled because of COVID. So we're really excited to open up again. So
0: this is the first one in in more than a year then.
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: So we encourage people to go out and take a look at that. Um, where do you get tickets can you buy them online or do you have to go to the box office
3: um you can call or you can go to the box office okay. either way and all that information is on our website okay cool
0: now one thing that everybody is interested in outdoor recreation there's been plenty going on especially as the fall comes along the weather's not going to be so hot People have a chance to get out and do stuff. Uh, Tell us what's coming up exciting for the outdoor recreation folks.
3: So one of our most popular events is kayaking on the Appomattox. So we'll do that on September 15th. But you're going to want to make sure you call Outdoor Rec beforehand to sign up because they do sell out quite often. Now
0: that happens very close to Fort Lee, right?
3: Yep. It's right in Roslyn Landing, right, right on the Appomattox. Right. And we supply everything for you, so we make it easy. We take the kayaks for you, the, everything you're going to need we have for you.
0: you just show up with uh, whatever swimming clothes you want to wear and go. Yep. Okay, that sounds like a cool event. Um, and you also have paintball.
3: We do. So we have paintball once a month. We do open paintball. So this month it'll be September 18th. The great news is we've had such great response to paintball the past few months. We're extending the season, and so we'll offer it in October and November as well.
0: Oh wow, where did the paintball take place?
3: Right next door to Outdoor Recreation. We have built our own. Mm -hmm.
0: That's kind of cool. How long does the session last? I mean, if you sign up for it.
3: Um, You can go out there as as often as you want, so you just pay a base price, and then if you decide to add extra rounds to it, you just pay a little more while you're there.
0: That's cool, okay. Um, Next up on the list, we have youth sports coming back this fall.
3: Yes. so we have had youth sports going on right now, which we're really excited about, but we're already thinking to the next season. So in January, we'll start basketball and cheerleading, but to do that we need coaches. So right now we're asking for volunteer coaches to come out who might be interested in that basketball or cheerleading coaching. There's Uh, You get parent points and then sometimes there's discounts on having your kids participate. So it's definitely a great thing to participate in.
0: And this again, back to the FMWR website, right?
3: Yep, absolutely. And even if basketball and cheerleading might not be your thing, we have sports throughout the year. We are always recruiting coaches. Sometimes the process can take three to five weeks to get approval. So we encourage everyone to start early.
0: To satisfy my curiosity, where do they play basketball for the youth and and where do they do the cheerleading?
3: I think right now that's a little bit up in the air because we're moving some things around due to our fitness centers, but we'll be sure to announce it before the season. It will
0: certainly be on the FNWR website. Absolutely Still need the coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, 24 7 fitness center.
3: Yes, we're real excited about this initiative. It's currently a Clark fitness center, so it allows you to register to have access 24 7 to a fitness center, which has been a real need here on Fort Lee that we've heard from our customers. Um, It is currently a Clark fitness center, which is our vaccinated fitness center. So even if you've registered before, we're asking you to go in and re register along with your proof of vaccination.
0: And that lets you come in any time of day or night. And what do you do, swipe your ID card? Yep, you
3: use your CAC entrance. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's easy.
0: Um, How how, how successful has it been so far? Have you had a lot of people there in the middle of the night?
3: Um, We haven't had too many, too much, just because we've been moving some things around with fitness centers due to the vaccination requirement, so now we're excited to really get the program up and running. Okay,
0: that's good. Hopefully people will take advantage of that. And now, uh, in honor, I guess in honor of September 11th, we have the Run for the Fallen coming up, in conjunction with September 11th.
3: Absolutely, it's definitely in conjunction this year. So this is our 10th anniversary of Run for the Fallen, as well as the 20th anniversary anniversary of 9-11. So it kind of all came together on the Saturday for us to really honor our fallen service members. So it'll, registration will start at seven o'clock on September 11th. You do not need to pre-register. It's not a requirement. You can if you'd like. Um, we're giving you a couple options. You can do it in person or you can do it virtually. And all of those details are on our website and our Facebook page. Um, we will start off with a ceremony. We have a great um, honored speaker that is coming, return, retired Colonel Patterson who is a familiar face here at Fort Lee, so we're very excited and honored to have her as our guest speaker. We will be doing the ceremony in Williams Stadium. Mask will be required for that portion of Run for the Fallen, and then it'll be a one mile or a 5K route outside of the stadium. Do
0: you run or walk both, or do you run the 5K and walk the one mile?
3: Um, it's up to you. You can run, walk, however you wanna do it in okay. honor, that's fine. We do kinda of track some of the miles, um, okay. just so we can tally what the we do at the end.
0: Okay, are masks required once you start walking? No. Just for the ceremony, yep. when everybody's
3: exactly during the ceremony and when you're not able to socially distance, and, and
0: is that open to more than just the ID card holders, or is that you have to be able to get in the gate to participate?
3: You do have to be able to get in the gate. People are able to try to um, register as a guest, okay. so through the, through the visitor center, but that has to be done prior with okay. enough time.
0: Okay, so if somebody wants to bring somebody with them or whatever, they can, but you got to go through the normal procedure. Yep,
3: normal procedures will be in effect.
0: Okay, uh, cool, that's great. Um I think that's all we have on our list. Uh, There is one other thing I wanted to ask you about, though. I know last time we talked, uh, there were the FMWR folks were hiring, looking for a lot of, fill a lot of jobs. How, how is the hiring process going, and, and you know, do you have anything still open?
3: Sure. We've been excited to bring a lot of new team members on board, but we're definitely still looking for more. So we're looking in areas of recreation aids, child care, laborers at our golf course, you name it, we've got it still open and available. Um, we'll be h- announcing a hiring expo in the next two weeks that we're actually going to be holding off the installation just to make it easier for potential participants to come and and see what employment opportunities there are
0: and the people that are interested they can go to USA jobs right yep go
3: to usajobs.gov search keyword NAF NAF and then select your location as Fort Lee and all of our jobs will come up
0: that's great okay well if anybody needs a job take a look for that uh well thank you Megan very much for being with us again today and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon again on the next podcast
3: okay sounds good thanks